It might seem the ultimate dream to be young and talented with the whole world ahead of you, but for many young adults, the millions of possibilities they're presented with have a paralyzing effect. Where am I headed? What shall I do? Who am I? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Mary Ellen Fairfax ducked her Year 12 class and then went on to do a double degree, as you do, in law and psychology. Oh, but that got boring, so yeah, law and media in the end. Mary Ellen, were you ever classified as gifted? Yeah. <laughs> what a vague question, Kent. <laughs> Well, it's 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 a good question. I mean, you know, clearly you're you're a high achiever. Clearly, you've done very mm. well academically, and and it's not the only thing you do well in. You know, you're musical, you're artistic, you're incredible, <laughs> you're a painter and sketcher and, and and all sorts of things. So again, I I come back. Were you ever placed in a gifted category by your by your teachers by a, you know anyone mm. who assessed you? Well, first of all, thank you. That's a huge compliment. I appreciate that. Yeah, look, I suppose growing up from pretty much before I can even remember, I was typically put in the gifted and talented class at school. I was very blessed to attend a school that had those sort of programs. So I would go up for streaming, for, you know, maths and reading and spelling and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I distinctly remember this time in high school and not to, I'm not trying to brag or blow my own horn here or anything like that, but there was this teacher that really took an interest in me and she was very, she was a really good mentor and she told the rest of the class to go to lunch early and she held me back and she oh. sat me down and she said, Mary Ellen, you are going to really struggle when you leave high school, you leave this sort of system, this institution where it's structured. And she said, but do me a favor, be an artist. And I was like, what? And I rolled my eyes and I sort of thought, no, 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 I'm going to do law or like I'm going to do, which I did, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to do something really impressive that everyone will you know, be jealous of me for. I'm not going to do art because it sort of has this reputation of <laughs> sort of <laughs> not being that way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I guess to answer your question, yes, sir. I was sort of selected growing up, which brought all kinds of pressures and things, but... Mm, you, you sound ambivalent about it. Ambivalent? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, it's very difficult to sort of speak as someone who gets labelled as gifted and talented. Without sounding like you are blowing your own trumpet, well, exactly. as, as you said before. Exactly. But it's, I guess at some point you've just got to accept it as a fact and say, well, yeah, this is the hand I've been dealt Yeah. and I'm not complaining about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's the thing. You can either focus on that and complain about it and feel guilty or you can choose to embrace the gift and use it, in my case, for God's glory. And I really try to do that as much as I can. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, look, it's interesting, like thinking about you know people who are super intelligent or geniuses or gifted or what. I mean, there are a whole lot of you know different categories and words, and some of them intersect and and some of them have quite different meanings. But it's interesting that you seem to be in a situation where you are good at a lot of things. I mean, for me, I was an average student except when it came to spelling. <laughs> no surprise. <then. laughs> when it came to spelling, like I remember having a like a reading age of well, I basically topped the reading age 
test when I was about oh, 10 or 11 mm-hmm. years old. So that was sort of my, you know, my special talent. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems that for a lot of people who are put in that sort of genius, you know, Mensa gifted category, that they have one particular thing they're really good at. I guess, you know, the sort of math, science nerd, possibly on the spectrum is the kind of picture that comes, <laughs> comes in, into our head. But you have uh, sort of general abilities in a lot of different areas. But can you mm. can you comment on? I mean, that, it sounds like a good thing to be to be good at everything. Yeah, well, good at everything. I mean, there's certain things I'm not good at. Definitely, I'm terrible at directions. Not particularly good at sports. So you know, I could I could list <laughs> off a few. Well, I, I remember reading. A, do you remember the, the Narnia tales in Prince Caspian, where oh, yeah. um, where it said the problem with girls is that they can't keep a map in their heads. <laughs> And, and the girl replies, that's because their brains have something in them. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to use that. So, so there you go. There's, the, there's your uh, defense for not being good at directions. Oh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But to answer your question about sort of, what, what was it, sort of how you react to... Yeah, I mean, how that works, being good mm. at a lot of things rather than good at one. I mean, I mean, if you're good at one specific thing, then, I mean, if you enjoy it, I yeah. guess, and, and if that thing isn't sort of, you know, some sort of psychopathic mass murderer or, or whatever, <laughs> oh, then you, you, your path in life is sort of selected for you, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I, I looked at a lot of my friends with envy and it, it's, it's ridiculous looking back at it because, as I said, you know, I'm very grateful to have as many talents, I suppose, as I do. But I'd look at my friends, you know, one had learning difficulties, but she was incredible at sport and she's become sort of an athlete and she trains and, you know, even to this day, she, mm. you know, p- p- participates in these sporting events and other friends I had were really good at math. So they went and became engineers or mathematicians. And, but for me and for other people I can think of as well who were dra- jack of all trades, you know, they could do anything. Mm. It really is quite paralyzing. I mean, it's difficult enough trying to pick a breakfast cereal in the breakfast aisle when there's like a hundred options, let alone picking what you have to do with your life. Yeah. And I think that sort of had two effects on my life. First of all, it made me yeah, very, very bad at making decisions because I never really had to make them. I sort of entertained all the options and and tried to please everyone and do everything. Yeah. And so that burnt me out quite a lot. But as well as that when you are quote unquote good at everything, a lot of people will want to be your friend, but for the wrong reasons. Mm. So they will want to uh, be your friend because you can help them with their homework or this or that, that or the other. And so I actually developed quite a lot of social insecurities because of it. And I became a real people pleaser because mm. I also didn't want to be perceived as that, that girl who was good at everything and also horrible to everyone, you know, because it's tall, tall poppy syndrome in Australia is a very real thing. Okay. He, he, here's one of these confronting questions that I ask sometimes, uh, Mary Ellen. Yep. It has something to do with um, being a social worker for about a decade. <laughs> it, it means I sometimes don't know what an appropriate question is to ask, but I've heard it said or, or read it somewhere that a child in particular who mm-hmm. is you know, who's very intelligent academically may actually not have the emotional capacity mm. to deal with the complexity of the thoughts that are going through their head. So, for for example, a child in you know mid late primary school may confront the you know the suffering of refugees or the reality of global warming or, or something like that. Mm. And they are intellectually able to grasp that, but they're not emotionally ready to to cope with that. Can hmm. you can you relate to that mismatch at all, or or do you feel that you're 
sort of you know your EQ your you know your your emotional intelligence was relatively in, in line with your more sort of academic abilities and mm-hmm. and I guess I'm I'm asking this because you mentioned some of those social difficulties that that you had yeah, and that's a very interesting question, and I suppose I haven't really thought about that too deeply, but I'm going to go home and think about that, I think. <laughs> but what I can say is that although I had, I suppose, very perceptive parents that passed down to me skills in sort of social analysis, and I, I think I had a fairly okay emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. it wasn't until my later life when I looked back and reflected on my behavior in primary school and things like this and thought, wow, actually... Yes, I was a lot better in academics, but I, I suppose it really manifested in social cues and social, socializing and I had a lot of social anxiety. So mm. yeah, there were always these thoughts running around in my head. So I guess to summarize, I would say that my emotional intelligence was average, but yeah, there was definitely a mismatch. And it wasn't until probably recent years that as I have not, not pursued those intellectual pursuits as much mm. that my emotional intelligence is kind of uh, increased to be on par with, <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you, that makes sense. Everything's yeah, equalized a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, you've, you've, you've matured, which, yeah, is, well, exactly. which yeah. is great. Uh, and look, listening to you talk, Mary Ellen, I guess also makes me reflect on the reality that a lot of young people are faced with in the 21st century, and that's these endless options. You know, yeah. when, when you're, you're born, you know, a, an internet native and you've got the world at your fingertips, you've got all these options, all these examples mm. of people doing, you know, amazing things in all sorts of areas. And then all these, you know, products and offers and sales pitches, you know, left, right and center. It must be hard to choose. Absolutely. I mean, you look back 200 years ago and there was a very different system in place. Things were less individualistic and, you would typically find that the son would pursue the trade of the father and so on and so forth, and you'd have Mm. family businesses. And then suddenly with the information age, absolutely, you have this influx of options. And everyone has, you know, a marketing department and an advertising department, their personal brand, their personal social media page. And so, yeah, the options are limitless, but with that comes huge choice paralysis, especially if you are good at different things or mm-hmm. and i guess at the end of the day what it boils down to then is time management because mm. how do you pursue everything you know well i mean you say time management but the reality is there aren't enough minutes in the day to to do everything that you possibly could do you, yeah. you have to every time you choose one option you have to give up the others yep uh you sound like uh, what was it greg mccohen from essentialism he says as soon as you select one thing you're saying no to everything else <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah exactly so look you've written a, a great article for us in the august signs of the times maryland that that just explores this and recounts this experience uh, of you sort of trying to find your purpose and it's mm. things sort of came to a head during this covid lockdown period you had some time to yourself you thought well this is good you know i'll be to focus and find out who's the real me, you know, <laughs> with all these expectations, you know, taken away. Yeah. And it sort of went in a branding direction, which is interesting. So, how, how does this idea of, you know, who am I, what's my identity, what's my purpose in life, how does that become so incredibly commodified, you know, w- with yeah. language like branding? <laughs> you know, please explain. It's almost like, you know, if you go to a lookout, but you don't take a photo of it, did it really happen? And I sort of apply that metaphor to personal branding as well, because look, you can have a social media presence and you can be an individual, you can have all these interests, but unless you can package that into something that people can digest quickly and understand, Mm -hmm. 
you're invisible when it comes to the social media space. And I'm not saying that we should all be in the social media space, but practically speaking, if you do want to pursue something with your life that isn't, you know, working for an organization or something like that, then that's really necessary. Mm-hmm. So um, what, what, what this says to me, Mary Ellen, is that you are, you are a communicator. You want to connect yeah. with people. You want, you feel like I have a message. I want to get out to the world. I, yeah. 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 It's not just about ego and wanting to be noticed. It, it is about connection. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a personal brand, Ultimately, what that is, is your message to the world, as you say, Kent. And so, if you can, as you say, commodify that and make that digestible to people, Mm -hmm. then suddenly you have this stream, like this this avenue through which you can communicate. And I think that's the thing when we're just so globalized, finding that avenue to communicate. Yes, it exists, but you have to widen it so that people can actually travel down it too and see you and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and you think in this age of sort of, you know, social media influences, sometimes the expectations are a little bit unrealistic there, like in terms of how many people you expect to influence or how many countries you expect your personal <laughs> brand to sort of make a, a dent on? Yeah. Oh, look, ideally, I would love to be able to say that I wholeheartedly believe in the reach one person and you've made a difference sort of a, an <laughs> argument but yeah look the numbers they're real and you can't really escape them yep. and yeah so. not, not just a communicator a mass communicator <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so so how did you go about like honing down your purpose because you know yeah. as you, as we've discussed you know you have a lot of different talents and a lot of different interests and a lot of different areas mm-hmm. so are you feeling any clearer about it now and, yeah. and, and if so, how did you get there? Yeah. So you mentioned before how at the, with the COVID crisis, everything really came to a head. Hmm. I think that that's true for a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people pursuing new things now that they've got a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. But for me, because I have so many interests and I guess skills, I was really trying to run away from that and pursue anything but the thing that I knew I was supposed to be doing. And so I would just fill my days with all of these meaningless things. And then suddenly, when COVID actually happened, I had extra time. Mm -hmm. Everything was cancelled. And so with that, I was like, okay, now I've really got to take on this responsibility because God has given me these talents and I have to use them. And I was sort of running away from God for ages in Mm -hmm. that respect. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for me personally, at the center of everything I believe and try to live out is salvation. It's Jesus' message. It's the, the hope that we have of eternal life. Yeah. And while not everything I suppose I create directly points to that, that is the center of my brand and what I want to be communicating to the world. Mm-hmm. And so I suppose to answer your question, how do you figure out what your personal brand is? How do you figure mm-hmm. out what, what you want to be doing? Well, I sat down, I had an evening to myself, and I wrote down all of the things I love to make and create. And so for me, that's music, that's art, that's writing, that's all, all kinds. And then I wrote down all of the messages I want to be communicating. And at the end, I had about 11 or 12 different things. So with messages, it was like, you know, natural, holistic health. It was a wholesome, you know, well-balanced life. It was spirituality. But the reality but, but, but is... 11 or 12 items is, is not really narrowing <laughs> no, it down. No, no, it's I, not. <laughs> not, not, not. Not to be critical, Mary Ellen. No, no, no. But, 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 but on the other hand, I guess sometimes people put together these sort of mood boards, you know, in design. And, yeah. And there are, you know, 11 or 12 items there that taken together, you sort of start to get a, a flavor of, you know, what, what the look and feel is about. Did, did you get a sense of, uh, of the you know, standing back looking at that list of 11 and 12 that I can see a theme emerging here? Or was it just like, <laughs> oh, my goodness... I still have too many options. Yeah, it was pretty much, oh my goodness, I have too many options. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that was where I was going with that. It was like, oh no, what have I done? You know, I can't do all of this. Yeah. 
And with, I suppose, after that, I really became interested in sort of this time management and busyness sort of an idea. And I, what I mentioned before, essentialism by Greg McCone, he says, you know, you say yes to something and you say no to everything else. And mm-hmm. trying to really narrow down what I wanted to do was nearly impossible. But I just said to myself, look, you have to pick something. You have to do something. And for a lot of people, I think it's the fear of failure that stops them doing that. Because mm-hmm. the reality is if you pick one thing and it fails – then, oh, like, what am I going to do? I'm a failure. Mm. But if you never pick anything or if you pick a lot of things and you diversify, then there's less chance of failing. But they've done studies, which is super interesting to me. I found this out afterwards. They've done studies of the biggest corporations in the world and the CEOs and what they sort of pursue and the projects they take on. And it's the companies that pick one thing and do it well as opposed to the companies that diversify and go into different areas that tend to stay the test of time. Wow. Okay. So for me, that was a big lesson. So yeah, I started up an Instagram account and I started up a YouTube channel. And so now my core message is slowing down, getting back to basics and like connecting with God one-on-one and just trying to find the beauty in the simple things. That's sort mm-hmm. of what I've, mm. what I'm narrowing it down to. I'm not quite there yet though. So. Oh, okay. All right. And, and does this sort of insight lead you to like any particular product? I mean, are mm. you are you like doing drawings on YouTube and people are watching you, or are you like what's what's the go? Yeah, so on my Instagram account, I do pretty drawings, and I've got a website as well. So at the moment, I'm selling like little stickers and and cards, and I plan to sort of go down the more inspirational Christian quotes route. Mm -hmm. But let's be honest, with a full-time job, I'm not actively pursuing this, (laughs) like full-time or anything like that. It's it's a a side hustle, as as I think you say in your article. That's a very uh, cool descriptor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, it's both an aesthetic, trying to find what exactly my aesthetic is, as well as what my product is. It's all a work in progress, but... Yeah, I'm just kind of trial and erroring, testing things out at the moment. So. And, and, and does that give you a sense of, I guess, peace, just knowing, hey, I've selected something and I'm doing it? Is is that mm. is there a sense of relief about that? There is a sense of relief. As soon as I picked a logo, <laughs> that was a huge relief because I was like, okay, finally, I've got something to work yep. with here. It's like step one, done. Step one, done, exactly. Yep. But that being said, I mean, you can pick something. But ultimately, there's this big comparison game and the more content you consume, for me, that being, you know, artists on Instagram, artists on TikTok, YouTubers, all of these people that are Mm. way ahead of where I am in this creative space. And you sort of think, oh, am I really doing the right thing? Is this really what God wants me to be doing? Mm. Because I don't want it to be an ego thing either. You look at these people and and it's very egotistical because you want to be better. So, yes and no, I would say. Comparison game is, is very real. Look, I, I know you switched from psychology, you know, midway through your study. <laughs> yeah. But did, did you get to the sort of developmental psychology to looking at the teenage years, the young adult years, and what sort of some of the key developmental tasks are during those during those years? And do you see yourself fitting into that? Because I, I believe sort of finding a sense of identity and, and purpose is mm. pretty pretty key. Yeah. Well, look, I will be honest with you, Kent. I dropped psychology one unit before I was, I did developmental. <laughs> so <laughs> I know people that have done it. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of development, though, I guess what I can comment on is this verse in scripture. And there's actually a book, if uh, anyone's listening, that wants 
just a bit more, I suppose, expertise on this topic and, mm-hmm. you know, finding your, your purpose in life. It's a book called 48 Days by Dan Miller, 48 Days to the Work You Love. You can get it at Kurong and Christian Bookshops. Okay. And something he talks about is a verse, I think it's in Psalms or Proverbs, I can't quote it off the top of my head, but it's the one that goes, train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. Mm-hmm. And a classic. lot of, classic, right? Yeah. Yep. A lot of parents in particular often take this verse and think, okay, if I, to be very blunt, indoctrinate my children, they won't leave the church, sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, this author actually says that if you look at the Hebrew root or something in the word, it actually is about children and looking at what they enjoy doing as a child. So, for me, that was always drawing. I could draw for hours and hours. I was right. in my flow state. Okay. So, so this train, this word like train up a child, when you think yeah. of the word train, you think, oh, this is like physical endurance training. This is Sergeant Major stuff. But, <laughs> but what you're saying is this is actually more like training a vine or training a plant. Yes, you, you, exactly. You, you look at that plant, you see what its natural capacities and abilities are, and then you train it according to that so it can be the best, you know, tomato plant or, or bean Absolutely. vine or passion fruit vine or whatever it, it can be. You're not, you're not trying to turn a tomato into a potato. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good metaphor. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah, cool. So, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So just, you know, encouraging your kids to pursue what they already love. Mm, is, yeah, mm. Take home. I mean, look, there are parents out there that, I guess, renowned and infamous for pushing their kids, you know, r- really hard. How do you see that? I mean, look, you're, you're someone who, who, you know, has a lot of capacity to achieve a, a lot of awesome things, you know. Shouldn't a parent of a child like you, <laughs> you know, push push them to be the best, to reach mm, their potential. Mm. I mean, you can understand how it might be disappointing for a parent to think, wow, my kid's so smart, they've got so much potential, and, you know, here they are doing an online hand-drawn card <laughs> shop, you know? <laughs> you, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Not, not that there's anything wrong no. with that. <laughs> but, I yeah. mean, it, surely parents should push their kids to a certain point mm. when they see their potential and they see that there's some attitude that's getting in the way or some lack of discipline or yep. that's yep. a part of training up a child, isn't it? I th- Yeah, I would agree with you to an extent. Yep. I think I can't really comment on my own experience only mm. because I'm naturally a very type A high achieving person. So mm-hmm. people would often say to me, you know, do your parents push you really hard? And I'd say not at all. Like I just, uh. I do it all myself. You know, I just want to be the best. <laughs> so, so in your um, case, your parents probably had to slow you down and say, Muriel, <laughs> this isn't balanced. You need to take a break. We're it going. Prob- to, we're going to see Grandma, and you're coming. And, yeah. <laughs> it probably should have said that more, but yeah. but yes. But something my mum always said to me was, you know, parents that push. Although you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. If it gets to the point where children kind of cripple under the pressure, it's mm. a problem. Mm. And there's a difference between encouragement and pushing. And if you look at children, the way that they behave typically speaking, is when they're young, they want to please you. Mm-hmm. You know, as parents, they really want to do the right thing. They want that positive affirmation. So, if you can create an environment where failure, first of all, is okay, but also where encouragement abounds, you're bound to have a kid or a child that will naturally want to pursue and be better and, you know, top the class because, you know, they're pleasing you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. wow, that's good. So oh, that's some some good advice uh, for parents from uh, someone who, who doesn't have kids, <laughs> well, but but from someone who has been a kid not that long ago, and so is you know able to offer that perspective. So what what would you say to people who are more in your demographic? You know, the young adult mm-hmm. who's it's an incredible 
stage of transition, isn't it? I mean, you have this, as your teachers told you, you have this incredibly structured school experience where you're told this is lunchtime, this is, now we're doing this subject, now we're doing that subject, and mm. now this is your homework for tomorrow, to a young adult where what course you want to choose, what part, you know, what life partner do you want to, <laughs> yeah. you know, devote yourself to, you know, what what faith decision do you want to make, what religion do you want to follow, you know, what are the values of, of your life? And as we've been saying, there are so many options. Mm. So what advice can you give for other young adults who are, you know, making these decisions? I mean, you know, are there any sort of things you've found out through trial and error so far that you could mm. maybe pass on to help other people maybe shortcut, you know, oh. <laughs> some of the disasters that maybe you or some of your friends have, have gone through? Yeah. Well, I think for me personally, one of the biggest things is because I'm naturally a ple- people pleaser, mm. I thought the right thing to do was to pick something with my life, to pick a career also, like an ex-partner, you know, to pick all these things that other people would look at and think, wow, she's successful. She's got her life together. And at mm. the time, I wasn't really conscious of this. You know, it's only in hindsight that you realize, oh, wow, like I was with that guy because he looked good in a suit next to me at church. Or, you know, I was, mm-hmm. I did that course because it made me look really intelligent. People were always so amazed. Mm. But deep down in my soul, in my spirit, whatever you want to call it, I always felt uneasy. I always felt as though it wasn't the right thing. And I think, you know, trust your intuition in a way. You, you will know if it's right for you or not. And with that also comes a knowledge of something I like to call the flow state. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, psychologists and things talk about this and they'll know a lot more than me. But mm-hmm. for me, the thing that I would always do, even if I wasn't paid for it, even if, you know, I was on my deathbed, I would be painting, I would be drawing, I'd be writing. That, that's my favorite thing in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And so if just because that's not easily I suppose em- employ. I can't. I can't get employed just like at any place around the corner with that kind of a skill set. Although maybe you can. I don't know. <laughs> it's not one of those things where I suppose what I'm trying to say is it's not one of those things that people look at and they're like, "Wow, that's amazing! You're in a top tier law firm or whatever." Mm-hmm. If you love something that much. You will naturally put in hundreds of hours into it and you will naturally be better than other people. You'll be mm, at the top of your game, mm. not because you've, you know, inserted yourself in a, in a tier of society where you can achieve stuff, but because you will naturally want to do it. And mm, I suppose. I, I, I remember having an insight myself, so yeah. it's a bit of an epiphany, which was you were created this way for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Why are you fighting it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and as well as that, you know, if, You've been created a certain way, but you're trying to be someone else and you're in a, I'm just going to use the law firm example. You know, Mm. you're working in a law firm and you don't want to be there. You're taking up someone else's space. Someone who really wants to be there, they can't Mm. be there now, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's almost a selfish thing if you look at it that way. And I think what you're saying now and also what you say in your article is don't, you know, run your life according to other people's definition of success. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's your definition of success, Marilyn, just Ooh. just as we come to a close? Yeah. My definition of success, it may change, who knows, but at the moment, it's living in alignment with what God wants for you, what you want for you, and what benefits society. So, it's not about doing everything under the sun. It's about picking one or two, maybe three really core things, doing them well and glorifying God in the process. Mm-hmm. So, that won't look like success to the world, to a lot of people, that'll look like a failure. Mm. But 
if, if, you know, you're trying to live up to the world's expectations, you'll never have peace at the end of the day. But mm. right now I can fall asleep on my pillow and go to sleep happy knowing that most of the time, obviously I fail all the time, but you know, for the majority of my life, I'm living in accordance with God's will. And that's, that's all I want. Mm. So. You're, you're being who you were created to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> wow. Well, look, that sounds like a success to me. Uh, what about you, uh, listener? What's your path? What's your goal? What are you being called to do? Hey, thanks so much for your time today, Mary Ellen. Really appreciate you writing for us in Signs of the Times, and it's fantastic you could be on Signs Radio with us today. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. 